Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 16. And let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for time together when we're able to, to worship and sit under your word read and preached. So we pray now that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Hebrews chapter 13. I'll begin reading in verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. The word of the Lord. So you have to remember that this letter was written to a group of of Jewish Christians, first century Jewish Christians that had were undergoing persecution. They were about to undergo even more persecution than we know historically. And so the book of Hebrews um, is called Hebrews for one reason, because it really doesn't just look back to the nation of Israel, but it looks back to the nation of Israel and its wanderings in the desert. And it says what you need to understand and what we as the, t the church today also need to understand is that if we want to have a parallel between where we are in this life, uh, being saved from sin, then what we see is Israel being saved from slavery in Egypt. There was nothing they did. They called out to God, and God saved them. After he saved them, then he gave them Ten Commandments. He didn't give them the law. He says, you keep the law, I'll save you. He saved them out of his mere grace and mercy then gives them the law as a great blessing to them to keep them separate from the world. There's a reason for that. And then as they sojourn, as they travel from Egypt to the promised land, our promised land is now heaven, but in another way too, it's that the whole earth now belongs to the Lord. And that's what Jesus is now ruling over is the entire world. And we're to make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. So that's our great commission. That's what we as a church are to be doing, making disciples, which means being disciples. So we are to be disciples, which means followers of Jesus Christ, trying to make our lives like his. So if you want to know what a holy person would look like, we all have images in our mind of people who claimed holiness, who claimed all these things for their lives, and then it can kind of be, well, I don't want to be like that. But Jesus Christ is the one who is truly holy, and in his holiness and in his righteousness, in his self-righteousness, because he was righteous in and of himself, he was 
humble, and he was lowly of heart. So when we see a person claiming for themselves holiness and self-righteousness and they're boasting of it and they're yelling about it, Paul says, I'll only boast in the cross of Christ, meaning I have nothing in my hands that I can bring because if you look long enough and hard enough at any of our lives, then we see we all fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ did not fall short at all. And so it is his life, his faith, his death, his resurrection that we look forward to and that is our hope and that is um, who we are following after so these people that this letter is written to understood clearly the old testament they were they were a people of it this was all they had the hebrew bible and so they understood sacrifices they understood the priests they understood the day of atonement they understood all these things so when they read these words we have to make sure that we, too, know the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament scripture, so that we can understand what's the writer talking about, so that we can properly apply it to ourselves as well. So in verse 10, we have an altar. What's an altar? Now, we may all have a certain idea in our minds what an altar is. And this is A-L-T-A-R. Um, altar, like you change something, is A-L-T-E-R. So this is an altar an altar calls for blood, a sacrifice. An altar is set up um, in the Old Testament to worship the one true God. And he was worshiped through blood sacrifices. In some churches, and I'm not gonna give any churches too hard of a time about this, but just to be very precise in our language, we're told to come to the altar. Technically, you don't come to an altar because what we're gonna see is in a way, we do come to the altar because the altar was Jesus Christ. The altar was Jesus Christ. The gift on the altar was Jesus Christ. It all pointed to Jesus Christ. But there is no sacrifice that we come to now other than the sacrifice of Christ who isn't, is not still on the cross. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Sometimes the table of the Lord is called an altar. But the only problem technically with that is this is not a bloody sacrifice. This points back to a sacrifice that happened. But what Christ is calling us to isn't come to the judgment, come to the bloody sacrifice. He's saying, come to my table. That's different. You're going to eat with somebody. That's fellowship. It's called koinonia, communion. That's what our Lord calls us to because of his sacrifice because he was the altar, because he died on the cross for our sins, and he calls us to his table. So then why does the Bible here tell us that we have an altar? It's because we have Jesus Christ. Now, it gets a little tricky, but it's not as tricky if you were raised in this as an Old Testament believer. Because we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. All right, serve the tent. Again, um, you had the tabernacle, you had the temple, but you had the traveling tent. The tabernacle, when you were, they were um, traveling through the wilderness wanderings, and that is where the altar was set up, and especially on the Day of Atonement, where a, a goat and a bull were, were killed, and all of the blood was given on the altar, and... 
for certain parts of the animal that were um, burned on the altar, but the rest of the animals, all animals were taken outside the camp and they were burned outside the camp because outside the camp was outside the church. It was outside of Israel. It was unclean. Uh, it needed to be brought under the domination of God. It needed to be cleansed. And so we'll continue to look at this. For those, then the priest could not eat of that sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. No one could eat of it. And now you're saying, like, wait a minute, we have an altar from which the priest don't have a right to eat. And I'm arguing that this is speaking of Jesus Christ. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus, so he wants us to, to make a connection between all those sacrifices that you see that are taking place during those Old Testament wanderings and during the time of the tabernacle. All those sacrifices, now I want you to think Jesus Christ. All of those pointing to the one final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ also suffered where? Outside the gate. Why? To sanctify the people through his own blood. Sanctifies that word holy to make them saints, to make them hagias, to make them set apart unto God for his purposes. Now it's important that it was outside the gate. Because now we're to go outside the gate. In other words, if you were, as these people were, thinking about going back to Judaism, I have to go back to the synagogue. It's like, no, you got to come out of that. All of that was to come out of that. And now the sacrifice belongs to those of the world who would have faith in Jesus Christ. So you're to come to Christ outside the gate. So look with me, Matthew 23, 19. Um, Jesus is preaching. He makes this statement on which I base the contention. It's not just mine. I didn't come up with this on my own. But Matthew 23, 19, as he talks about the altar. So Matthew 23, 19. Well, you know I had to back up. So we're going to 18. And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, then he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So the altar makes the gift sacred. What makes the gift sacred? Jesus Christ. What is the gift? Jesus Christ. The altar makes the gift sacred. All of this points to Jesus Christ. So when we have an altar, what we have is Jesus Christ, the one on whom we are made holy, the one whose blood and gift makes us holy. And the fact that he's outside the camp means anybody can go to him. You don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to... Um, go through certain rituals to in order to um, be made um, holy before you can come to him you don't have to try to get your life all cleaned up before you go to jesus christ it's like people who say you know i don't want to go to a gym until i get in better shape it's like well okay but you understand okay but why because everybody's looking well we can fall into that same problem in the church we have to make sure that what we're looking to is jesus christ 
that we're all looking to Jesus Christ. And it's quite remarkable if you look at what we call salvation history. It's like the history of salvation all the way from the garden. And, and you see Adam fell. Adam sinned against God. And the day you eat from that tree, you shall die. And he ate. But he didn't die that day. And the reason he did not die that day is because he tried to cover his own right. He and Eve both tried to cover their own sin, their own nakedness with um, fig leaves. And God was like, that. You can't, you can't do anything about your sin. So what he did was he, he clothed them with the skin of an animal, which means he killed an animal. There was death that day. There was a sacrifice. There was a substitutionary atonement. There was a substitutionary death. God killed an animal, took the skin of the animal, and clothed them with that. What makes that any better than fig leaves? Well, it's the symbolism. Blood had to be shed. Somebody's dying because you broke the law and you cannot go unpunished by a holy God. So what God did that day was foreshadow Jesus Christ. He killed an animal, which would demonstrate the killing of Jesus Christ. And then he takes that blood sacrifice and clothes them with the skin of the animal. And that's what happens with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ dies for us, and we're naked. We should be ashamed. We're, we're lost. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. But when we come to Christ by faith, it says we're in Christ. And guess what the Bible says? We are clothed in his righteousness. From the beginning in the garden, it, they demonstra God demonstrated Clearly, the only way now that you have violated the covenant of works is through the covenant of grace. God did not have to kill an animal. He had every right to kill them both, and that's that. Maybe he'd have come up with some other plan, but he wasn't, because this is the plan of God. To have for himself a people who were redeemed by God so that we could be indwelt by his spirit so that we would never fall so that in heaven we would be made perfect always filled with his spirit connected to him in a real and living way so that when we see the waters of baptism it's like it's the holy spirit watching you cleansing you and actually coming to live inside of you but we need to continue to renew that covenant we need to continue to go to jesus outside the camp now that doesn't mean you go to jesus outside the church it doesn't mean you find some place alone it just means that jesus stepped out of the holy of holies and into the world, and he declared, the world is mine. My temple is now the church. And you are called, as believers, living stones being built together into a temple of God. That's what's happening to us. As we are clothed, we are also being put together into a temple of God. So the world belongs to the Lord. That's what we declare in evangelism. Not that we need to figure out how to get certain governments to do these things differently. It's like, no, we probably should. We do what we do with governments and worldly things and stuff. But the declaration is the church belongs, the world belongs to the church. Um, and not in such a way that there's any church leaders that go out there and they dictate for everybody how they're supposed to be, but that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. 
Jesus Christ is the ruler. Jesus Christ is the king of kings. Jesus Christ is the Lord of lords. All things come under his dominion in the entire world. What we're calling people to is to admit who your king is. Reject the God of this world who only wants your destruction. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And as we see our culture going darker and darker and darker, they think they're making things brighter and brighter and brighter. And you want to know why you can't, you look at this and go, what? Are they thinking? They're darkness. They don't see. And there are many here who may not see. There are many who call the name of Christ who aren't saved yet, who do not see. You must and only be able to see through eyes of faith the things of Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the only way to the Father. You must have the sacrifice of Jesus Christ credited your account. You have to be in him, hidden in him. And if you received baptism, then that was the mark of the new covenant. But now you must walk in faith. Maybe you walked away. Maybe you're walking away. Maybe you never really walked at all. But you have to recognize the fact that we are being called to submit and to bend the knee to Jesus Christ, for he is our only hope and our only sacrifice. And again in verse 12, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. So speaking to the original church um, that this was written to, if you go back to Judaism and, and say, I was wrong about Jesus, sorry about that, um, we want to just continue to worship you know, in the sanctuary and everything will be fine and get along, then, um, okay, you can do that. And if you stay with Christ, there's going to be reproach because he died a shameful death on the cross and you're saying, I'm united to, to, to that, to him. And there will be reproach. There will be people in this world who will um, abuse that will, there, there are many places in the world today, and we Going to Haiti, it, those people, uh, they have different type of religion. And people come to Christ, they are rejected by their family completely. Uh, you already don't have much. And if your family rejects you, what do you have then? And nothing. And yet you go to Christ because that is of greater worth than whatever worldly sustenance I might have. And it's a scary thing. But we're to do that. We're to go outside. We're to bear the reproach of Christ. We're not going to be necessarily elevated. I mean, it's a good thing that we're living in a time when um, you become a Christian and everybody just doesn't stand up and applaud and say, I'm so proud of you, and we do all this. It's not necessarily wrong with saying something like that, but the world's not saying that much. And make no mistake about it, as our world begins to clamp down on freedom of speech, it is ultimately aimed at the church. They might not be thinking that way, but that's the powers behind it. And our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and authorities, which were put to open shame. And you don't think them being put to open shame seek to strike back? There are powers behind the darkness, the people, the people that we see doing evil things. We need to love them. We need to pray for them. We need to be sharing the gospel for them. We need to be living our life differently. We need to be living our life in such a way that they see our good works and glorify our Father who are in heaven. It doesn't mean you become like them so that they like you. You're going to have to shine the light of Christ. There's going to be people who hate that. They hated me, therefore they'll hate you, says our God. 
but we do go to him in verse 14. For we have here no lasting city. What do we have here? What are you building for yourself? What have you got? And one thing we see with the virus is, I don't think everybody believes it. You kind of know it, but everybody's going to die. Something's going to get you. You're not getting out alive, and you've brought nothing into this world, and it's for sure that you'll take nothing out. What will you leave behind? Treasures, trinkets, money. It might not be worth much before too long. What are you doing? On what are you spending your life? Talk to older people, and even people older than them. And they will say, what's important? What's important? I sure am glad I had a whole lot of money. Then that's their guide. But if they have regrets, I wish I'd done more of this. I wish I'd done more of that. And listen to that. But as a faithful believers, we should be able to say, I wish I'd spent more time in the word. I wish I'd spent more time praying for people. I wish I'd spent more time focused on God and his world. Because that's what's coming after. Maybe there'll be nothing after this. Then let's eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. And it's like pff, the most useless, fatalistic, nonsensical idiocy that I can possibly think of is to think that there is nothing after this. Lie to yourself. Lie to yourself. Lie to yourself if it makes you feel better. But that doesn't mean you're not going to be hit by the freight train of truth. And it will come at you. But we serve a holy God. And you will have your sin dealt with. It will either be with Jesus Christ, and he says, come to me. Or it will be you deal with a holy God as he deals with you as you deserve, which will be fearful. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice. Ah, this is why he's talking about an altar. This is why we're, so let's keep thinking sacrifices. We're supposed to sacrifice. What do we sacrifice? Praise to God. The fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise be to Yahweh. Jesus Christ. There's one thing I have... I am going to Haiti soon, so I do have my mind there a lot. But here's one interesting thing when you talk to people and the way people talk. When I was a Baptist, and I love Baptist still, I have many Baptist friends. But when I became a Presbyterian, I had to convince my family we still believe the Bible all the way through. They're, they're okay with it for the most part. <clears throat> and then, sorry, I just lost my train of thought for thinking about trying to explain to my grandfather that I still believe the Bible all the way through. <laughs> He was, he was glad. He used to tell me, he says, he says, no matter what you do, he says, he says, find a good wife and join a good Baptist church. And I was like, oh, I got the good wife and I got a good church. I think it's just, you know, it's a, I think he's in heaven now. He, he gets it. He understands. But um, let me give it the fruit of <laughs> fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So that what we do is, is we are, what was I saying? Well, I lost my train of thought completely. That's what I need somebody to be able to say. Oh, talking about Haiti. Yes, that's all I needed. Jesus, the name of Jesus. It's like when you ask them, how, when I became a Presbyterian, the talk in the hallways was different. The talk in the hallways was God's in control, God's in control. Man, you know, you're quoting scripture, but it was all this God's in control stuff. And I just remember hearing it differently. And I've been a Presbyterian now for so long. It's like I don't, you know, a lot of Baptist churches, it's like that too. But the ones I came out of were a little more, you know, uh, man-centric in some ways. 
But when you get to 80, um, all you hear is like, how are you doing? I am great by the grace of Jesus. We say by the grace of God. Nothing wrong with that. But they say, grace of Jesus. And Jay-Z, by the way, that's how they say Jesus, which takes a little getting used to. Because we're praising Jay-Z. <laughs> but it's another language. So, you know, it's like, by the grace of Jay-Z. I'm doing good by the grace of Jay-Z. Everything is Jesus, 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 Jesus. And it's like, really, because bon Dieu, God, is what they call, it's like Allah. It's not the same thing, but in, in um, Arabic, Allah just means God. So Christians, if you're speaking Arabic, you worship Allah. But you see how that's, oh, wait a second, we don't worship Allah, we worship God. Well, that's just language differences. So you can call, you know, Jesus, you say I worship Jesus, but who is the Jesus you worship? Because that's important, because just because you use his name doesn't mean you actually know who you're talking about. So when they don't just say bonje because that's that sounds like the god of the voodooist and things like that too. But they'll say that, but they also they want to focus on we're talking about Jesus, the work of Jesus. And I think our church needs to 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 keep that in mind too, because you can kind of make it a little gen generic just to say God, um, but but Jesus, praise Jesus, in Jesus name, what Jesus has done. We come to the Lord's table. The, who is the Lord? The Lord is Jesus Christ is his table so we want to offer up a sacrifice of praise to god the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name the name of jesus christ that's what we need to be doing praising jesus not in some weird way that we look at some people i think some of our problem my problem was like when i was first becoming a looking at becoming a pastor i knew a lot of pastors and i guess in my judgmentalism i was like well i'm not like those guys so i can't be a pastor and so what i was told was it's like you're not called to be like those guys you're called to be like you as you follow Jesus Christ. And it's like, still. <laughs> so you have to, you grow into these things. So we use the name of Jesus in the way that you would use it as one who loves and serves and is called to praise his name and keep his name on your lips. And the more you keep his name on your lips, the more you keep his, your, his, the thought of him on your mind and on your heart. And you're able to walk in the spirit rather than walking in the flesh. And in verse 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So I think we've also been tainted here in this country with the idea of giving because so many people have so much. Um, even poor people have comparatively a lot. We you have comparative wealth and that becomes a big problem. You know, you've got the richest person here and the poorest person here and we talk about that wealth gap and it's like wait now you're just talking about resentment and covetousness and and all that stuff but how about this person compared to one of the poorest people in haiti oh is that who you want me to compare no i want you to compare yourself to jesus christ how would jesus christ be dealing with where he is with what he has what would he do with it and what would he tell us to do with it and when he tells us to do with it is he says don't neglect to do good and so, you know, one of the things about, at least don't talk about Taekwondo all the time anymore. So going to, to, to Haiti, it's like somebody comes up to you and they ask you for something here and you're suspicious. Do they really need that? What are they going to use that money for? They might be making more money doing that than I'm making on my job. I don't know. I have no clue. Why don't they, the government is handing out money like 
air. Why, what are you coming to me for? What, there's, there's food everywhere. I mean, what? you know, so it taints you and you don't know. And there's truly needy people and then there's people who aren't. And needy is a relative term. And you go to Haiti and somebody asks you for something, it's like, well, you know, they need it. <laughs> They're not lying to you about their need. It's like, how do you help everybody? How do you help that one and not this one? And how do I walk over there looking like a millionaire? Because to many of them, I am. And then what do I do now? Because, and so what we have to see is the gospel is powerful. And we need to reevaluate the way we look at th this city, the world, where we're not focused on it, we're focused on the city to come so that we live our lives in such a way that we're not focused on our best life now. We're not focused on the American dream. We're, we're focused on how would God have me to live my life with the gifts I've been given, the place I've been placed, and the things that I'm currently doing because that's all that's going to stand for forever. And we're to share what we have. And with those sacrifices, it pleases God. So let's pray. Lord, we see somebody receive the symbol of baptism when you say that's the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, anointing our heads. Uh, sprinkling our hearts. It's, it's not a physical thing, just like physical circumcision. It's circumcision of the heart. It's not water baptism that, that gets on us. It's, or even if we're immersed in the water, it, it represents the Holy Spirit's work on us. It's done to us. We receive baptism. We don't do it to ourselves. We're not merely professing and proclaiming to the world what we believe. You are proclaiming to us what you believe. So, Lord, help us to see your promises that are given to us. Help us to receive those promises. Help us to, to, to do good to others. Help us to, to see the blessings and the gifts we have and not compare it to what other people have so that we grow resentful. Help us not to compare ourselves to others, but to maybe to who we were before. Are we walking more in step with Christ? Are we deepening our faith? Are we becoming better people? And when we see that we're not, then we learn more about grace, Lord, so that we might grow in grace, that we might understand and come to know that you love us, you've died for us, and if you leave us alone, we become darkness, we become destructive, we become self-centered, miserable people, and a thief comes in to steal, kill, and destroy, and then we just cry out, help, and you're there. So we'd pray that you would continue to save us, continue to have people call your name, continue to know that to the world, you went outside the camp, you went out. You come to us that we would turn from our sin and turn to you for hope and for faith and for salvation and for a life everlasting. And we pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.